On this episode of the London Lyceum, we talk with Dr. Sean McGeever about evangelism and the care of souls. We cover all sorts of topics like just what is evangelism, what links evangelism to the care of souls, why is Sean bad at evangelism, what's really the true catalyst for announcing Jesus, what's the content of the evangelistic message, what should be our cadence when it comes to evangelism and much, much more. As always, if you have thoughts about the episode or ideas or requests for the show in general, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or check us out at our website, thelondonlyceum.com. Now for the only analytic, Baptist, and confessional podcast on the planet, we think this one's going to get you thinking. Well, I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of the London Lyceum. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Stefaniak, and we are a podcast and online center that's dedicated to serious thinking for a serious church. And when we talk about serious thinking, as you know, if you're a regular listener or if you're a first-time listener, let me give you the, the little spiel on what we're trying to mean by serious thinking. When we mean serious thinking and we talk about that, we're talking about sort of an intellectual culture of things like charity, curiosity, critical thinking, and cheerful confessionalism. So it's trying to combine rigorous ideas, rigorous arguments. I guess ideas aren't rigorous, but arguments can be. Uh, alongside sort of a disposition of humility, of intellectual humility and curiosity for why people think the way they think. And we want to do it in a mode of cheerfulness. So when I say things like cheerful confessionalism, that's really just a way to signal that confessionalism is more than just right doctrine. Confessionalism is really an entire posture towards sound doctrine. It's a culture of itself, it seems like to me anyway. It's an ethos of some sort. Too many men, in my opinion, are attracted to confessionalism merely because of precision and merely because, and then they just kind of like trade one fundamentalism for another. But we've tried to explain that true confessionalism is calm, it's confident about its beliefs, but it's unafraid to link arms with people across the board because they know what they confess and why they confess it. So I guess you could introduce another C, maybe it's sort of like a Catholicity of sorts. Now, I'm very excited to introduce you all to a friend of mine, Dr. Sean McGeever. He has a brand new book with Lexham Press, which if you're not following Lexham, you should be because they are producing both high quality content, but also the material and the way it's presented is excellent. So they give far more attention to detail to presentation than I think most publishers do today, and it really shows. So pretty much any book you get from them now, care, attention to detail across the board has been given. So just from that perspective, Lexham's awesome, but they're also producing really interesting and helpful content. And in this particular episode, we're going to talk to Sean about his book on evangelism for the true care of souls. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'll be honest, I remember in seminary, you know, I took a bunch of courses. There were a bunch of required courses. Evangelism is one of them. And I remember thinking, why do I have an entire course dedicated to evangelism? If I'm in seminary, I should know how to share the gospel. But it seems that there are all sorts of questions that actually go on underneath the surface here and thinking about what is evangelism? How should it look like in the life of the local church? How should it look like for me personally? that are of great importance here. So I, I'm excited to talk to Sean about it. Sean, before we get started in covering your book, maybe just give me a little bit of background, who you are, what you do, things you like, to, like, you know, you've got a, a master's golf hat on now. Do you still like golf after the merger? All the fun things like that. Oh, man. You, you jumped right into a really tricky topic there, Jordan. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, it, for your listeners, no idea when this is coming out. But yeah, the, the merger happened yesterday. And 
Oh man, it, it, it's rough. I really don't know what to think of it. So, um, man, you had to go right there, Jordan. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I am wearing a master's at, uh, so if, if there's one thing that'll be independent from that mess, uh, it, the masters will probably still be the masters, but anyway, we're not here to talk golf though. I'd love to. Um, yeah, I'm here in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm one of the few people who's born and raised, been here all my life, except for a couple of years when we were up in Spokane, Washington, my wife and I, high school sweethearts. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've been here, uh, grew up, didn't grow up as a, as a Christian, didn't grow up going to church. Uh, my mom was nominally Catholic, uh, but we didn't participate in any way. And in high school, one of my friends invited me to an outreach event, a Young Life event, and I had a good time, went to a camp, heard the gospel, responded, didn't quite know that I'd responded, but uh, pretty quickly got plugged into a church and discipleship groups, grew a lot, started volunteering at my church and with Young Life. And I've been doing, you know, obviously church work. And uh, I worked for a couple of years after college in the business world and the tech field uh, for a couple of years, but quit my job little, well, over 20 years ago to work for Young Life. Uh, and I've been doing that full time. In fact, just yesterday, I started my 21st, I think, season of coaching high school basketball. We have summer league. So i got my incoming eighth, uh, incoming freshman. We won yesterday. So that was good. Uh, but, you know, just love connecting uh, with young people and getting people to join me in doing that. Young Life's an outreach to teenagers. So been in the same community for a really long time, comes with a lot of benefits, a lot of trust, um, and I've been blessed to have a lot of support from my local community. And then for the last uh, 13, 14 years, I've been teaching adjunct at Grand Canyon University and doing curriculum development for them. So yeah, full-time essentially evangelist and trainer of evangelists as well as an academic, um, you know, trying to, trying to contribute uh, books, um, teach at GCU, and um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. I love having guys on the podcast who are normal people who straddle that world of academia plus doing like real, just actually caring for people, loving them, discipling them. Because I think that's what the, the calling of the theologian should look like. It shouldn't just be, I'm doing intellectual pursuits. We should also be actually living that out in our lives. So this is really special to have you on. So let's just hit the ground running. Fundamentally, when we talk about evangelism, what do we mean by that term? If you want to sort of like sketch a little bit of the history, you're welcome to do that. Because when I think of evangelism, I think a lot of people, if I just walked around the street and said, what is evangelism? They're going to give me like sort of a 21st century like explanation of what it looks like. And they might think, well, if I actually looked at, you know, like does a monk evangelize <laughs> a medieval monk? What, what does that look like? that's a stable definition that we could say everybody would agree with this, or maybe there isn't, I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah. Thanks, Jordan. You know, evangelism, the way I present in the book is the sharing or announcement of the good news of Jesus. And now that's not going to come as a shocker to any of your listeners. Um, so that's, that's rather straightforward. I'd, I'd say there's two things I'd want to say that my, well, not the main thing that I'm wanted to do is and it's because of the series that it's in it's for the care of souls i'm looking at evangelism as a pastoral task and with that i'm also assuming that the reader has some familiarity or maybe even some experience with evangelism so not only the pastoral task of how do we care for people but also how do i think about it as myself uh, myself as the emotional up and downs i mean pastoral tasks have all sorts of a you know backstory that we experience ups and downs. Am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? 
highs and lows, all that. Evangelism is certainly like that because it feels like um, life or death, eternity, hell. It's, it all hinges upon my performance, about what I do next, my tactics, my strategies, all these things. So my my book, there, there are many books, and we can talk about them that might talk about mechanics. And, and I do cover these uh, in, in certain ways of here's what the gospel is, here's how you present it. I talk about those, but I'm doing it through a lens of of um, pastoral care, long-term pastoral care for people um, evangelistically and and kind of throughout their their, their journey, their entire uh, discipleship journey. I'm looking longer term rather than just kind of a hit and run evangelism. And I'm also talking about what does it feel like when you see people not respond, do respond, then fall away, etc., and all those different seasons. So so there's a bit of that. And one of the ways that I I I get at that into your question, what is evangelism and how may it have changed over time would be sure that evangelism is the announcement or sharing of the good news of Jesus. Um, one of the things I, I, I point out is the way that the word evangelism and evangelist have and have not been used in the history of the church. So evangelism is a relatively recent term that we would have or the way that would be translated. So, so for instance, I did my PhD on the conversion theology of John Wesley and George Whitfield, uh, who are uh, alongside uh, like Jonathan Edwards would be absolutely the, the, the kind of two or three early evangelicals that you have to talk about if you're going to talk about where evangelicalism came from. Well, be natural. Okay, where, do, where is it that they talk about evangelism? Well, I know for a fact that Wesley and Whitfield never used the word evangelism, which might be surprising. And so it doesn't mean that the concept isn't there, of course, because that's not how, how the concepts can be there, like Trinity, etc., um, that uh, we just don't have the term. But, but evangelism as a category, even classes that we take, um, that's not the way that they would have termed it. So what we ha- can find more helpful is to look back and see the word evangelist. And I think that this is where we could learn something, maybe gain an insight that we don't always have when we're talking about evangelism. An evangelist, most fundamentally, are the four gospel writers. They're the four evangelists. So, um, you know, many of us might be familiar with that idea. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the evangelists themselves. What are they? They're the people who um, talk about the good news of Jesus, so present the story of the good news of Jesus. You know, the etymology of evangelism uh, goes kind of back to euangelion. Um, U is good. Angelion is, is angel or messenger. It's someone who brings a good message. And as Christians, that the central... Uh, uh, focus of that message is, of course, Jesus. And so the evangelist in the early church service was the person in the liturgy who would read the gospel reading. You know, you might have several different readings, letter of Paul, Old Testament, etc. Well, the person who would open up the gospels is called an evangelist. It's It's a role in the liturgy. It's the person who does that task. And so when we think about maybe the historical uh, way to think about evangelism and evangelists. Today, when we think about evangelism, we might think of tracks, outreach events, rallies, camps, bringing a special speaker in, an altar call, something like that. In the past, it was someone who patiently, accurately, and consistently read the gospel accounts aloud to people. And so I want to kind of simplify that because a lot of us might, you know, have different, uh, thoughts, experiences, likes and dislikes of those other things I mentioned. 
But saying what the Gospels have to say about Jesus is to be an evangelist. So that, that, there's a little bit of background on that. So you mentioned this idea of hit and run evangelism, and I've got to imagine a lot of Americans, uh, at least in my segment of age range, probably have experience with that, where it was almost like evangelism. You were told, like, go to your local Walmart and try to get as many people as you can to say the sinner's prayer (laughs) and then come report back to me how many people did it. Like, is that... Where in the world did that come from? And is is that a full orbed like is that consistent with what we mean by evangelism? Well, certainly God uses all of those things. You know, uh, amongst your listeners, um, I certainly have friends that God authentically used the the Holy Spirit authentically used to be able to communicate the gospel, um, and and they heard it and they responded, and so so. Um, you know, the, the, the spirit, as we know from John three is mysterious. We don't know the way it's coming and going. And so praise God that God uses all sorts of different forms, uh, and methods and, and, and all that. What I'd like to say is, um, you know, when I think of prayer and maybe some of your listeners will probably understand when I think of prayer, for whatever reason, even though I didn't grow up Christian, I, I kind of imagine the precious moments figurine that's got like, it's like a little figurine thing it's on its knees it's in a robe it's got its hands clasped together and it's you know a solemn moment nothing else is going around when i close my eyes and i think of prayer i kind of think of that that's that's really what prayer is when i think of evangelism and i close my eyes i do think of what you're talking about someone knocking on a door someone sharing uh for spiritual laws tract i think of an altar call i think of those sorts of things and and while those things are effective um can be effective and god does certainly use those um, I want us to expand quite a quite quite a bit uh, what we think of when we when we think of evangelism, and I think that that might actually open up a lot of avenues for people to think more broadly about evangelism. Um, I think it, it a lot of people feel pressure um, if those like I you know I used to do that. I don't know if I have the confidence. I don't know if culturally it works now. I just want to say you don't have to do those things. They're not the only way to do it. Like just how that precious moments prayer doll is not the only way to pray. Sure, you could do that. That's not normative. In fact, with my own spiritual life, that's not the normal way I pray. Um, it looks a lot more on the go. It's you know it's just all the time, and that's that would be what I would say about uh, evangelism is we need to broaden our our ideas of what evangelism would be and when we when we are doing it. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, coming back to that, but uh, you know, I, I, I talk in the book about avoiding being evangelistic ambulance chasers. That's a little bit of a kind of um, targeted thing there. But a lot of us think that when it hits the fan, when life goes down the dumps, we need to run in with the gospel that Jesus is Lord and wants to be with him in that moment. And the truth is, of course, God does want to be there. But what we end up doing is we... Um, kind of uh, take evangelism and we use it as a band-aid or we only apply it in certain situations. There's only a right time for evangelism and it's when people's lives are going terrible and we want to come in with the balm of, of Jesus. And, and, and of course, of course we'd want to do that. And so that's that. But, but when we do that, we train people to think of the gospel and even Christianity as a backup plan, as a fix it, as a band-aid. Um, so there's that. Or if we do that and it doesn't go well, 
then we get gun shy. We'd never want to do that again because we had a bad experience of it. And so uh, I want us to broaden what we think of when we think of um, evangelism. Like one of the stats that I put in there is that only 1% of people uh, is a 2018 study who said that they came to faith um, or, or know that they came to faith had done so at like an event or something like that. And by and large, it was a longer term process, three to four years, mostly through relationships, continued relationships. Most of my three to four year continued relationships are not made up with confrontational evangelism. They're made up with a whole bunch of uh, you know, bits and pieces of the gospel over and over and over and me sharing my life. And really that was the way of evangelism in the early church. Um, I've written a bit about that too. So I don't know. There's, there's a couple of responses. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's nice. Um, so another question, I grew up and my grandfather was a pastor. And I think in, in that sort of context, there was questions oftentimes of like, how many souls have you saved? Right. Is that a useful framework when we think about evangelism? It, I, you know, I don't want to say no, right? Because there are times when, um, you know, it's, Scripture does this, right? At Pentecost, you know, 3,000 were added. So there's, there is a place for that. However, I think that, I think that, uh, I don't like the terminology of soul winner. One of the reasons why, just to be honest, I'm really competitive. You know, you already heard, I got, I got a golf hat on. Um, I've, you know, golf is, is n the only thing about golf is you'll never hit the perfect shot over and over. You know, there's 18 holes. No one's ever gotten 18 holes in ones. So essentially the whole game is a game of failure, right? I didn't go where I wanted it to go. Um, I coached basketball. I was happy to say we won our game yesterday, but you know, we lose games every season and, and shooting, you know, you, you, no one even makes all their layups, right? So the idea of soul winner really quickly brings me to the idea of, well, it's a, it's a, you either win or you lose, you win or you lose. So, and then also the kind of, if you think about the, the verb, who is it that's doing the winning? So that that's super problematic right there. Uh, and so it makes it feel like I'm a winner or I'm a loser and I have at my disposal that. And, and, and so while certainly a certain number of souls could be added, sometimes maybe we might have an evidence of, of some sort of number, or some sort of response. Often it is uh, unseen and at some pace, like for instance, when I came to faith, there was an opportunity to stand up and say, if you'd come to faith, I didn't do it. It was just how everything's kind of happening. So I wouldn't have been counted on that day, on that Sunday afternoon, right before we got on the buses and went home. So, so you know, I'm not here to just down the, the soul winner thing, but I think it's problematic. The one that bothers me the most from the pastoral angle is that winning or losing depends upon me. We have this tendency, I have this tendency, I want to be God. The first commandment tells us, you know, we shall have no other gods. Luther says, if you get that one right, you kind of get the rest right. And I think that that ends up being a fundamental issue with evangelism is there's this little bit in me thinking I could be the one who kind of gets, I don't want to say credit for it, but I'm going to be the one that does this, or I'm going to be the one that loses this. And that comes with it just an enormous amount of pride if you have success. It has an enormous amount of guilt. If you don't have success, it can also come with a bunch of idolatry when you see other people who are gifted or talented in that. Um, or, or maybe the opposite where you think that someone is, is just, you know, not an evangelist. So I'm really, uh, I guess, um, nervous about like the soul winner 
uh, terminology for, for, for those reasons. Now, are you or Chris was Nikki better at golf? I am. Yeah. Chris has been, Chris just right. got an, uh, uh, he just texted me. I think he got a forward. Um, he also went for a driver fitting and he has like a 15 year old driver and he said, you know, was, I, I encouraged him to go get a fitting because you can get fit for a better driver. And uh, he's, he texted me back and said, good news. I don't need a new driver. Um, no other driver would help me more. And I, I, I mean, I kind of texted him. I guess if he's listening right now, he could know that that means because his swing needs some improvement. <laughs> like <laughs> his swing speed isn't high enough. He's not hitting the face clear enough. Anyway, sorry, Chris. You're getting better. We did go golfing when we came out recently, but uh, oh, man. I just so right currently I'm better than than Chris. But uh, he is he's so persistent. It's just a matter of time. Maybe, maybe I'm not going to give Chris that one. Speaking of being bad at things, no offense, Chris. <laughs> I'm terrible at golf, just for the record. Um, are you bad at evangelism? Because I hear this comment from pretty much everybody that they're like, "Well, I can't do evangelism because I'm bad at it." Hmm. Well, I, I would wonder why, why would they say that? You know, like, why do you think you're bad at evangelism? I think a common response that I would get is I haven't led that many people to the Lord. Some people that I'm around that would like to become Christians aren't. And I would say, let go of the results. Like I'd really, that's the, you're not God thing and you're not the Holy Spirit. I would say, let go of the results. Now, you don't want to be just completely ignore that. Say, well, you know, as an evangelist, as a Christian, what, what is it that you're doing? Do you ever talk about your faith, etc.? You know, um, the ongoing kind of lifestyle stuff. Do they know about how you run your life and what you do on Sundays and, you know, what, what you live for? I mean, does that come up? You know, you know, there might be some like a conversation about it, but I would really, if they say I'm bad at it, I would want them to, to let go of the results. In fact, I mean, just the care of souls idea is to care for people. Um, and, and to care for their soul in a way that isn't attached to um, the results. Like a doctor, I, I try to use the, the analogy of a doctor. Um, a doctor's job is to listen and to, after listening, respond and to then prescribe, hopefully, something that will help. Now, is it literally the fault of the doctor if if it doesn't get the results. Well, the doctor could maybe review the prescription, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the doctor doesn't have control over whether it's effective or not. Um, you know, obviously there's a place for malpractice, but we're not talking about that. The doctor is really out of any control of the, the medicine doing the work. Our medicine, if you will, would be the good news of Jesus. The, the, you know, the effective, um, the effectual work is going to be done by the Holy Spirit. We are out of that loop. Okay. So I think we could ask ourselves, are we listening? Are we responding with our lives and with Jesus and the good news of Jesus as the central part of our message when we talk about our faith? Um, sure. But, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd want to get out of the, the loop of, um, you know, I'm bad at evangelism. I think, I think they might, it's, especially in America, they want, we all want immediate results. We want our Amazon package in two days. If it comes in three, we are frustrated. Um, evangelism is not going to come in two days type of thing. Um, and we're, we're just not tuned for that right now. Yeah. So you've got another section in your book on the catalyst sort of for announcing Jesus. And I'd love for you to tease that out a little bit because I get the sense that a lot of people, when they first become Christians, they've got a lot of zeal. 
for wanting to announce the good news. But as time goes on, as life gets busy, whatever it is, just you slowly lose the motivation to continue to share the gospel in these sort of ways. So in your mind, like what is that catalyst and how can we get reconnected to it for those who feel disconnected from it? Yeah, I think what I mentioned before about us not just jumping in when things are terrible, and certainly when things are terrible, we can share about our hope in Christ and our faith. But the catalyst, catalyst usually sounds like something that's going to, you know, you th- like a chemical experience, you know, experiment, you know, you throw this chemical and it explodes and all the students in the class go, wow, you know. Um, the catalyst is that I'm speaking of is actually quite the opposite. And I've been talking about it the whole time, which is uh, a, a patience. The catalyst is, is actually the Holy Spirit. And, you know, from John 3, we would know that it's the Spirit that does, does the work in its own timing. And so the catalyst is all of life. Uh, a story sometimes I tell is, is uh, you know, I was, I was a naughty uh, kid growing up and I would, I would sneak into movie theaters. So I didn't have anything going on and I would sneak into, uh, there's a movie theater down the street and I had nothing, yeah, because I had nothing going on. I would, I would go in the back door and I would walk into a movie theater. And one of the challenges with that is I'd walk into a movie that was already in progress and then sure enough, the, the movie theater people would come with their little flashlight to count how many people should be in there. And if there's any, you know, uh, hoodlums like myself that shouldn't be in there. And so I'd kind of go out the other door and I'd run into another movie theater of a movie already in progress. And I'd try to make sense of what's going on. And this would repeat because I had nothing going on. And, and so I would end up seeing bits and pieces of different movies throughout a day. I don't recommend it. Obviously, I was stealing. It's wrong. But that's what I was doing. Um, with that evangelism is similar where we are entering into a story of people's lives that God has already been working. We are not the beginning nor the end of the pastoral care for people. We are not the beginning nor the end of the evangelistic work of announcing and re-announcing the good news of Jesus in people's lives. What we need to do is enter into a situation, listen, get settled, Maybe, you know, the, the movie theater analogy, kind of get into your seat and, and, and hunker down and kind of watch patiently what's going on. So the catalyst is actually paying attention to what God's doing, which is a lot about just sharing life. It's a lot about listening. Um, it's about asking follow-up questions. Tell me more about this. Tell me more about that. It's really becoming a good listener is the key skill of, of, of catalytic evangelistic conversations. Most people aren't really listening. They're just preparing to talk. Um, pastoral friends of mine, ministers like mine really want a microphone. Uh, often I confess that myself, our ears are our best tool to evangelize listening and ask just like a doctor would asking a thoughtful follow-up question that might diagnose further and then listen more, not necessarily rushing in with a scalpel, if you will. Um, and so the cadence is a slow, methodical, relational, question, you know, asking questions, being a good listener. That's the cadence um, and the, and the cat, uh, catalyst for that. It's recognizing that God is always at work and God is the catalyst. We just need to see what God is up to. Man, this, so you're, the way you're explaining this is so different than I think uh, a lot of uh, people grew up in where it seems that the catalyst is primarily about me. And then there's a far more active 
posture where the listening element doesn't seem to factor in. What was it that drew you to this approach? Like, where did you, like, where did you find this? Like, were you always like this? You know, in the, in the ministry that I work in, it's highly relational, you know, it's not perfect. I could, you know, say some things about our strategies and such that aren't ideal and all that. But one of the benefits is that it is based on long-term relationships. I still know my Young Life leader, which I dedicated in, in this book. There's three people listed that I dedicated my book to that were the ones that reached out to me. And all three of them I know. One of them I just saw last weekend. Um, so I, le- I learned this by watching it, uh, by having these, these long-term uh, relationships. In fact, I'm looking out my window right now across this, right, I'm looking at a wall, you know, I'm a suburban neighborhood. My neighbor, I've lived uh, right next to you for 15 years. Uh, I talk about him in the book. <laughs> um, he, he's really good at, 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 at his yard. He owns a, a landscaping company. His, his yard's beautiful. Mine isn't. And uh, anyway, he's not a Christian, he, you know, not following God. And, but, you know, I, I haven't been affected by it. I'm in 15 year relationship talking to him about life. And he certainly knows what we're up to. Um, it, it is different, but it, it to be honest, to me, it seems natural because it was the way I was trained as a evangelist. Like I said, I've been coaching basketball at the same school for 21 years. Um, that's just kind of the model I'm used to. Not to say, I am very aware and I've utilized, um, you know, evangelist tracks. I speak at camps often where I call for a response. So there's a place for this. I don't really know you, but I'm going to share the gospel and invite you to respond. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's kind of where I picked it up was just how I was trained. No, that, that's good. And that seems to be intuitively what just jives with how most people become Christians. And like you mentioned, only 1% of them or whatever the statistic was are becoming a Christian through a talk or something. I remember I was I went to T4G one time and I feel like Mark Dever always loves to do these sort of things where it's like everybody stand up and then he'll ask a question and then it's like, you know, if you're below 65, sit down or something like that. And just go on until you have a few people. And one of these was sort of like, you know, like, how did you come to know the Lord? Hmm. And it was like 98% of the people came to know the Lord through a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so just showing the priority that's on just friendships and family um, for how the faith is passed on to one another. I thought that was really profoundly impactful for me as I thought about it. Um, before I ask another question though, Sean, I, I didn't know you guys had lawns in Phoenix. I thought you just had rocks. How does he have a better lawn than you? Yeah, basically we got a desert and we try to force grass to grow on it. I mean, it's awful. That's one of the reasons why I like golf growing up here. I was like, it's so different. Um, there's green things <laughs> that grow. Um, so yeah, it, we, we have to plant two different lawns too. our summer or our winter lawn dies as soon as it hits hundred degrees, which it did recently here. So that's my lawn's dead. And then the summer grass is supposed to come up. It's another reason that when I went to St. Andrews for my MLET and then Aberdeen for my PhD, I loved it because it's so green. And, uh, I hear it's like that in other parts of the country in the U S but I don't get out much. So, uh, maybe where you're at, it's greener, but nothing but but, uh, you know, brown and tan houses in desert around my house here. Yeah. Well, I guess theoretically you could have green grass where I live, but I'm never very good at it. And my wife likes to remind me of that fact. Like our neighbors, they have green yard, fix it. <laughs> like I am not good at this. Um, so the content of, of evangelism, 
I know there's several frameworks that I have been trained on personally and that I think are pretty popular. Things like creation, fall, redemption as a sort of a paradigm for thinking about the gospel message. Uh, is this a, is, is that how we should think about what it means to announce Jesus? Should we use a different paradigm or does it really matter? Um, questions like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, you know, the framework that you said through and through, that's a great way to think about it. In fact, I was just on a call. I'm, I'm heading over next week to the UK and I'm uh, running some evangelistic camps with, uh, in Ireland, Northern Ireland, I'll be in Scotland uh, working with Young Life and we have a four day camp and we are doing a creation, fall, redemption, restoration for talk sequence. So, uh, you know, of course, that's great. One of the challenges is, uh, and I've written some articles and some in my book too, but how many words do we have to use to proclaim the gospel? You know, if it's one year word, I'm going to double down on the word Jesus. If I'm going to go two words or three words, I'm going to go Jesus is Lord, something like that. Um, and, but then you could say, well, I also want to include the entirety of the, uh, of, of God's word, the entire Bible. Um, so, you know, then, okay, well, how do we summarize that? Maybe we use the, um, you know, uh, creation, fall, redemption, uh, or uh, restoration uh, framework. The place where I would go uh, to to kind of the the key framework is the rule of faith, and I talk about that in my book. And I know you've interviewed and talked with other folks about this. I did my MLIT at St Andrews on on this and how it was used evangelistically in the early church, how it led up to the creed. Um, and really the core place that I would go there is first Corinthians 15 verses three through four. I mean, it really does all the work and then it gets expanded and you see the, the church fathers repeating it that ends up into, uh, Nicaea. But, um, but yeah, the, the focal point is Jesus. Um, he is, uh, he died, resurrected for our sins. Those are going to be the ingredients that are a part of any good gospel message. Jesus is the focal point um, that he died and he resurrected for our sins. And you could say, according to the scriptures, those sorts of things like that you find in first Corinthians 15, three through four are going to be anchors of which any good gospel proclamation are going to be found. So one other question I have is related a little bit, somewhat to the context of evangelism, somewhat not. So the way you've sort of described it so far, highly relational, over a period of years, it's not just like a, a simple encounter. Maybe it is on rare occasions, but the the rule is more of this relational sort of aspect. What does that mean for people who are introverts, people who say they work from home and that's their job, and they don't really come in contact with people except on Sunday when they go to church? And let's just assume that people at your church are probably Christians. Like, how how does evangelism look in that in that case? Mm -hmm. I would encourage them to stay in their lane. God's placed them in a place that the other people aren't in. So, uh, you know, sometimes when I do training for the various groups that I do. I'll talk about different personality types. I don't get too far into it, but one of them I call the, the stealth bomber. You know, they're like quiet and they're maybe on the side of the room and, and they end up connecting with people that other people would not. Um, and that, and that's really common that uh, I would I would just say, keep doing what you're doing, but maybe open your eyes and, and ask for God to show you the people that you're in contact with. Like I said, I'm going over next week to the UK. And one of the parts of the training that I have to do for the American people that I'm bringing over and bringing about 15 folks over to, to help with this, to support the work that's going on there, 
is that a lot of folks um, where we're going uh, are overwhelmed by the energy level, the talkative, how talkative Americans are, and just there's just like kind of get out of my face. So um, they're telling us, you know, can you dial it down a little bit? This is not going to help. It's going to hurt if you come at us like that. So what we need probably are more people like what you just talked about. If we want to do evangelism, either in other cultures, so I think join me if they want to go again. But God put you together and gave you a certain personality that you're going to connect with people in a way that no one else can. And I think I would just say to not compare yourself. Because I think with that, there's a, there's a natural, I'm not like these people that they're very extroverted, whatever. Good. Um, probably the, there's a bunch of people that, um, that you can connect with. They don't want to hear from them anyway. So I would just say, quit playing the comparison game. Um, be faithful. The, in the early church, the way that evangelism worked, since people could not come to the church service uh, until they were baptized, was people become curious. And so, you know, that kind of as you go and you talk about the things that you do, people pick up a lot more than than you think that you're sharing. Like I work a lot with junior high kids. It's really classic right now with junior high kids that um, they'll be in the, you're, you're trying to give a message or teach a lesson or something. They're in the back of the room, they're on their phone and or they're they're pretending to fall asleep or maybe they, it seems they are asleep. Then sure enough, a week or two or three weeks later, they'll say, remember when you said da-da-da? And it's like, I was convinced that you were on your phone that you had at earbuds in, that you're listening to music, that you were um, wrestling with your buddy or whatever. But as it turns out, you were listening to stuff. And I think that a lot of us, as we talk about the way that we go about our lives, the normal rhythms of our lives, the way we talk about our families, our friends, the way we talk about the priorities in our life, they might not sound evangelistic. But I believe if we're following Jesus, they're going to be distinct enough in a very natural and organic way that they're going to proclaim the good news of Christ because the Holy Spirit lives in you and it's going to come out. And so for a person who might be more introverted, quiet, doesn't interact with many people, I would say don't compare and and keep following Jesus and trust that the Holy Spirit's going to work through you. And as opportunities come up to ask questions, if somebody says something, tell me more about that. Maybe become a better question asker or asker and um and as opportunity presents, sure. You know, I don't know if you ever told you about this, but you know, one of the reasons I do what I do is because I love, I love the Lord and he loves me. I love, you know, did you know that about me? Very few people are shocked that I run into when I talk about Christ. It's not as if, can't believe you brought that up. You, most of them have known me long enough that they're, that they're like, of course you're going to talk about this. I, I know who you are. This is a part of your life. Yeah, no, that's good. So there are two other things I definitely want to make sure to ask you. So I'm going to ask them before I forget. Okay. One of them is in your book, you talk a little bit or you have a section on like announcing Jesus to yourself. What do you mean by that? Right, right. Yeah. So for many of us Christians in particular, what I do is evangelist often, I can become numb to the gospel. So I can repeat it um, often and pretty effectively, you know, as far as I can, I know what I'm going to say in that, in that regard, I know how to deliver it. Um, so, but with that, you kind of build up calluses, uh, over time where you don't feel it as much. So when the gospel was new to me, I mean, I, I felt it like in my heart, in my spirit, it felt new and raw, but just like many things that we repeat many times when I talk about Christ, when I talk about specifically like the gospel, sin, redemption, all that, 
it, it comes out without me feeling or even thinking of it, which is in one way is neat that it's a natural part of who I am, but, but I can become numb to it and like calluses. I think I have a little subsection called comfortably numb, you know, <laughs> and I think that's a real temptation for those of us who are Christians and those of us who are ministers or involved in ministry in a certain way. It just doesn't resonate with us. And I think the, the primary way to scrape away at those calluses, kind of um, a loofah or, or, you know, just to try to get, get them narrowed down so you can feel again, like, it, like if you have a callus in your hand, your foot, et cetera, is confession of sin. I mean, I, I can't think of anything better for my own heart than to grapple with my own sin. Um, and, and there's always enough there. I don't need to go out and do some special sin <laughs> um, to, to get this feeling or reality. It's, it's to, to grapple with my own sin. And so, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm a part of a church where we have a moment for confession. Um, I'm grateful that, you know, I guess I just have a guilty conscience enough that I, I generally can't get away with with it for too long for me to feel pretty, pretty bad about myself and convicted by the Holy Spirit. But when I, when I grapple with my sin, when I confess my sin, when I write down my sin, when I, when I maybe confess my sins to some other people as well, if I'm in a, you know, in a situation that that seems needed, I do come into better contact with, with the gospel. And I end up announcing it back to myself. I'm this, as I tell other people that they need a Lord, that, that, that Jesus is Lord um, that he died, he resurrected for his sins. Accordingly. This is the message for me. And um, I feel like the way I come in more contact with that is through confronting my own sin and being aware of my own sin, slowing down enough. Um, uh, so yeah, we need to renounce it to ourselves and believe it ourselves. And I think that actually is another, cat, if you will, like um, catalyst for us to, to be excited to tell other people about it. Yeah, that's good. So the other thing that I definitely wanted to ask was about the three laws of evangelism that you mentioned. What what are those? And yeah, just explain them for me. Yeah, yeah. We've already touched on all of them. My, my wonderful, eclectic, amazing editor, Todd Haynes, um, legend out there. Um, cat gift Todd is sometimes what I would call him. Uh, loves his cats, loves his gifts. Um, Todd's a really good friend of mine. And uh I wrote my manuscript, turned it in, and he said, I think, I think it would be helpful for some uh, readers if you could maybe just you know, summarize some practical steps. So I'm really grateful that he did. And the, the three laws are this. One, listen. Two, announce. Three, repeat. Very simple. The, the key skill that I, I, I push for in my book is to listen. And I think we've already talked about that. Um, but really listening in, in three ways. One, would be listening to God's word just frequently, always, you know, hopefully in church service, in your own reading, listening to God's word, then listening to your own life. So noticing your sin, noticing your gratefulness, noticing, you know, just like paying attention to your own life and listening, and then listening to the person that God has in front of you, primarily asking follow-up questions, like two or three follow-up. What did you mean with that? Tell me more about that. Listen, announce, and this is more straightforward, that Jesus is Lord in any different way that you can say it. One of the analogies that I talk about is uh, GPS. When, anytime I want to go somewhere, I put in the destination and my GPS you know, program, whatever, usually gives me three or four different ways I want to go there, the fastest way, the least amount of turns, etc. But they all get me there. And so we want to be able to have in our um, pocket or you know, tool belt different ways to announce that Jesus is Lord and the other things that we mentioned. And then three is repeat. 
I think a lot of us think we, we get enough um, courage to jump in and maybe have an evangelistic uh, conversation and be like, oh, glad that's over. You know, it's going to be a while before I try something like that again. But this idea of um, just just keep repeating it to others and to ourselves that we listen to God's word, to, oursel- to, the, to ourselves in some way, our own lives, um, to the people in front of us, announcing in a, in a multitude of different ways, which takes experience and wisdom that you'll only get over time. And then just keep doing that over and over and over and having it be a normal rhythm and cycle of what we do. Those would be the three laws. Yeah, that's very helpful. So remind me, I know you're on the Twitter machine. What's the best way for people to keep up with you and the things that you're working on or publishing or the resources that you just have in general? Well, you could you could just look at Todd Haynes' Twitter, and uh, if there's a like on there, there's a good chance I have it. Uh, I, I'm so he he's kind of a. Um, uh, uh, one way to do that, but yeah, I'm on Twitter at Sean McGeever. I have a, a really clunky uh, website, seanmcgeever.com. That's not elegant or anything, but the, uh, Twitter is really the main place I like to interact. It's the, it's my fave. Cool. Yeah. I like Twitter too. I have a lot of fun there. Um, and I, I like it when Todd gets on there cause he does post those gifts and which I'm glad that you pronounce gif correctly. I cannot stand it when it's called GIF. I okay. I wrote another book. Uh, it was called "The Good News of Our Limits," and I had a I had a debate with my editor. Good man. I'm not going to say his name here. If you're listening, he won. <laughs> I think we ended up taking it out because he had been an engineer and I was an engineer. And I was like, "It's graphic interface or what? Uh, whatever it is." I was like, "The first word is yeah. graphic." You know, it's a hard G. Anyway, we ended up pulling it from the book because in the in the edit in the in the comments with my editor, you know, in the bubbles on the side, we got into a little debate, and I was like, "Ah." This isn't helpful. Let's get out of this. <laughs> so we cut it. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That reminds me about your book, book on the virtue of limits. And we've mentioned briefly that you have the book on Wesley and Whitfield's Theology of Conversion. So those of you who are listening, I'll make sure to link to do at least those three books in the show notes with links so you can click them and not only support Sean, but also be equipped to better understand your faith and to share it with others. So thanks, Sean. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate what you're doing here. Um, and I encourage everybody to pick up a copy of this book as well as the series. I love the series. I mean, the, mm-hmm. just the, the the true care of souls, like the, the approach and sort of it seems like there's just an ethos about it. Yeah. So funny story. Um, I don't know how to say Harold's last name. So it's I'm like going to let you print something like that. <laughs> so in a weird turn of events, Somehow, in a journal that I did a book review in for, which shamelessly, for a long period of time, I would do tons of book reviews just because I wanted a free book. And so I would, reach, I would reach out to like every journal that I could find saying like, can I review this book? Because I just wanted, <laughs> like, it's, it's 150 bucks and I'm not going to, I can't afford it. And so I was in this like, it was, I think it was an obscure journal. But it comes out, um, somehow it was, they have an online copy and a friend of mine, Jake Rainwater, also had done a review on this. And he noticed that on my book review, my last name was Jordan um, and Harold's last name. I, I'm, I think Sinkbeal. Sinkbeal. So that's what my name was in this oh, no. book review. So it, uh, you can theoretically go look for, for, for me with that last name. And wow. there I am. But that's a long way of saying these volumes are actually very useful. And I just love the way, like the approach, the pastoral approach that's there. 
Um, I think a lot of the stuff that we get pumped these days seems like more CEO business driven than it is like actual sort of like shepherd pastoral calling. So I really appreciate the, the almost like counter revolution of sorts. Yeah, so. I think th- I think they come too from our our veterans. You know, I, I think I read the other day mm-hmm. someone had posted that uh, Tim Keller had only started to publish in the last fifteen years of his life. Oh, that's and good. And you go, yeah. you know, he had he had he had a well of wisdom to share when he started publishing in his mid fifties. And I think Hal is a great example of that. You know, he's for decades. Um, I think you know. I don't. I, this may have been one of the main, the first major published uh, books they published. I think he had a sanctification book and some other things before, but. You know, it's got, I'm guessing, 40 or 50 years of pastoral wisdom before he did it. Kind of like a, a band's first album is usually their best because yeah. their entire life they had prepared for that moment. And then that second album is, they've got like a year or two to come up with it. You know, it's tough. It's tough to match that. And uh, But when you find someone like Keller did or like Hal, who's been you know, 40 years of ministry, they have a lot to offer. Um, a lot to offer and so I really love uh, learning from our our veteran uh, ministers out there yeah that's good so thanks Sean this has been great and everybody's been tuning in as you know thanks for listening to the only analytic Baptist and confessional podcast on the planet and we'll talk to you guys soon you know how to book flights and hotels All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.